almost any portion of the movie that features dinosaurs eating people, uh, <laughs> I was a fan of. <laughs> because everybody in this movie's a moron and you wanted them to be eaten? <laughs> Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one god man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 143 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, dinosaurs, and more. I'm TJ, your dinosaur tamer for this episode, and joining us is the mean but smart, but very smart, velociraptor, Joe Darnell. (laughs) How are you, Joe? I'm doing great. Apparently, I've gotten an upgrade. Uh, I've evolved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's okay. what we do. Yes. From the lab. Lab created evolution. Yes, we created you in the lab specifically for these podcast reviews, and you're very mean, but you're very smart, and you know, you're very Velociraptor like. I, I got a few extra genes. Uh, they give me some human DNA. Hmm. Okay. I'm not so sure about that. Um, hmm. But speaking of human DNA, joining us also today, I assure you, we spared no expense to bring him here onto this podcast. It is Clark Douglas. Hello. How are you, Clark? A proud member of the corrupt military-industrial dinosaur (laughs) complex. Yes, yes, aren't we all? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so obviously later on in this episode, we're going to be talking about Jurassic World, and we'll find out whether that's a train wreck or not. Spoiler alert, it kind of is. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, So, I mean, we should dive into some news here uh, because that's what we like to do first on the Movie Bite podcast is kind of talk about some news. And yep. some of the news that's been going flying around uh, right now is about Star Wars. Imagine that. Yes. So, so we have We've Star got Wars some bite. Star Wars bite. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, so Han, there's a Han Solo spinoff movie, and it's going to be directed by uh, the Lego directors Chris Miller and Phil Lord. Um, this is on Hypable.com and pretty much every other movie website in the universe right now. Um, big news today about another Star Wars spinoff film in the works at Disney. A new Han Solo-led movie will be held by Chris Miller and Phil Lord, the directors of the Lego movie. Guys, so many feels, so many mixed, <laughs> mixed emotions on this here. Um, but, but why, TJ? But why? Well, I have a feeling that Clark is going to be able to sum up these mixed emotions pretty huh. well. What do you think, okay. Clark? Okay, so so here's my take on the matter. Um I am so tired of origin stories. That's, that's <laughs> Amen, the brother. part of it that really bugs me. I, you know, I could care less what happened to Han Solo during his early days. <laughs> but what does a origin story look like for something that's not a superhero? Is it like a, that new Peter Pan movie coming out here shortly? Where is this for no explainable reason there was an adventure before the person became an adventurer? I mean, I, th- I think it'll look very much like a superhero origin story, just on a you know less superheroic scale. But 
Yeah, I mean, basically, like, you know, it's Han going, Solo it's, traditionally wasn't very heroic, so I, I don't understand that. Well, we already know that he's never seen anything in the in the galaxy before. You know, Luke that convinced him there was any strange, mysterious force at work. So, what possibly could have been of interest that we would want to know about? Right, it's just going to be you know a space adventure movie, and that's fine. And the the, the positive side of it, I, I do like Chris Miller and Phil Lord. They're talented guys. Given their involvement, I would guess, and given the nature of Han Solo, I would guess this would be probably the most comedically inclined Star Wars movie to date. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that's but, what I'm picturing. It's more of a buddy film with Chewbacca and Han Solo, and maybe Han accidentally saves Chewbacca's life, and then Chewbacca is like doting on him for being his savior or something like that, and then they yeah. kind of make reconcile some of their differences, and then they get along. And oh, 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 I got it. Along the way, Han has to learn how to understand a word that Chewbacca is saying because he doesn't know uh, Wookie at the beginning. Mm. You know, there, there, there you go. So, so Clark, are you saying it would be more comedically inclined than, than Jar Jar Binks? What is this? <laughs> more comedically Well, at least with inclined. jokes that actually work. Hey, I got it. I've got it. Han Solo and Jar Jar Binks team up and, 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 and then Han Solo shoots first and kills Jar Jar. How's that? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there would be some people who would enjoy that a great deal. <laughs> I'm, I may or may not be one of them. Theoretically, <laughs> in the timetable, that could happen. I don't know. If we're getting a Han Solo solo movie. Um, <laughs> Somebody had to go there. <laughs> I, I, I really wish it were, um, you know, either a present day thing with uh, present day Harrison Ford, perhaps in a separate adventure from whatever's going to be going on in episode seven. Mm-hmm. Or maybe something filling in the gaps between the end of Return of the Jedi and uh, this movie, maybe with a different actor. I don't know. That would be a little weird, but th- that's territory that I find much more interesting than anything that Han Solo was up to before he entered uh, A New Hope. I agree. Well, and you just broached the subject of how do we cast Han Solo in his formative years? You know, who gets to play him? And some of the other articles out there right now are saying that a young Han Solo has to be played by a young actor with top billing like Harrison Ford. And I think that that's a huge mistake. I would rather have a Harrison Ford lookalike that can act somewhat, you know, rather than someone who just has a bunch of stardom to, you know, win over the audience to get them into theaters. So you're yeah, not on, you're that, not on the Chris Pratt uh, Chris Pratt train. Heck no. And, and, th- <laughs> and think I'll about tell you it. two things that are not going to happen. One, it's not going to be Chris Pratt because he's already <laughs> he's playing old. a version of Han Solo in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Two, it's not going to be a nobody um, because Disney knows they need a star in this yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even if it's somebody who doesn't look particularly like Harrison Ford, they're going to go for a name who kind of sort of looks like Harrison Ford over a no-name who looks a lot like Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. just I tend the to reality. Agree. Now, we can hope that it's not going to be like a Jai Courtney, but... Oh, my gosh. Clark, <laughs> I'm going to have nightmares now. What I'm, What did you just do? Clark, I don't know what you speak of. What is this? He's well. That's my point exactly. Um, he, he's a very forgettable, but also inexplicably popular young actor at the moment. Or let's uh, say Sam Worthington. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I know who Jai Courtney is. He was in yeah. uh, Divergent, A Good Day to Die Hard. Uh, in, yeah. Oh, in, okay. Yeah, yeah. Was he that the guy in Jupiter Ascending? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, that's right. No, yeah. he wasn't. Never mind. I, I Jack Reacher. Was. He was in Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. Yeah, Unbroken. Yeah. Um. But yeah, apparently he's in Terminator Genesis. He is. Mm. 
not. I thought um, for about an hour that he was like a block of wood, but then I realized it was a guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Clark, you have um, pretty well-founded uh, ideas of his acting ability here. I, I I don't have anything against the guy personally. It's just he he's one of these guys who's shown up in a lot of big movies and done absolutely nothing with almost every part he's been given. Clearly somebody who's being cast because he's a conventionally handsome guy who looks like a movie star, but who just does not have, you know, the acting chops required to fill that mm, yeah. part. Yeah, I think all things considered, this is probably the most depressing news uh, to come out of Star Wars. But as I as I said, it's... wait, 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 wait. So you're just saying you're opposed to a Harrison, I mean a Han Solo uh, franchise, uh, uh, just in I, general. Hmm. Yes, and I and the, hmm. the reason is because for me, he's so iconic. Like Harrison Ford well, as Han Solo. It was either Solo. this or a young Princess Organa Disney. But, but why do we have Star to have Wars any of that? Mashup? Why? Why do we have to have any of that? Uh, it's inevitable. I mean, like because Disney paid. You a keep lot using of money that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Inevitable. Disney spent a lot of money. They're going so, to cash in like a gajillion fold. So, you know they so will. they should move forward. They should do other stuff with other characters. Like stop uh, these iconic characters. They're just no. Would just you like, like another my, Ewok movie? Leave my childhood <laughs> alone. That's all I'm asking. The other thing is that Han Solo is a character who works as well as he does because he's just to the side of everything that's happening in a lot of the Star Wars movies. He's a foil. Uh, yes. He's a yes. foil. He, he, he's deflating the uh, sort of portentous bombast uh, that the rest of those movies are offering. And it works really, really well kind of playing against that with this sarcastic uh, kind of amoral attitude. Can you imagine Luke Skywalker in the first film without Han Solo pop, constantly poking a pin in his balloon? I mean, right. I mean, he would just be such an inflated, egotistical, like you know, nothing to balance it out. But I just, I, I completely agree. Honestly, I don't think that Luke, Leia, or Han work that well on their own. I think that the three yep, of them are point. what make the the movies what they are. So yes, Joe, to answer your question from my part. Uh, even though, again, I mentioned mixed feelings earlier where Chris Miller and Phil Lord, oh my goodness, I can't wait to see what they do. Uh, th- th- at the same time, I don't want this. I don't I don't think this is the right direction. This is not good. And this is me complaining about it on a podcast about movies. So there you go. <laughs> you just my don't like my movies, biggest fear is that they're basically going to give Han Solo his familiar Han Solo arc before he gets to that point and then, you know, undo it. Right, uh, that, right. that basically he'll he'll be this just selfish mercenary or whatever, and then he'll meet somebody and he'll start to become noble and da 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 da, and then later on somewhere down the line, you know, there's some incident that reaffirms his cynical view of the world and he goes back to his old ways or whatever. Right, they you know, have in to, time for a new hope. They're going to have to give him some sort of a hero's journey because Han Solo is essentially a hero. And right. in, in order, for, you know, before A New Hope, we know that he was pretty much a scoundrel. But now you have to give him this hero's journey before he has his hero's journey, and it's not going to make any sense, and it's not going to be consistent with the timeline. But we know that Star Wars doesn't care about that. At least George Lucas certainly didn't, but I care. That that being said, if they do make a Han Solo movie where he's, like, consistent to his old self the whole time, and it's just, you know, a selfish mercenary the whole movie, that would be pretty entertaining. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. 
Uh, as far as movie makers are concerned these days, pirates and swashbucklers and thieves and murderers all make the best heroes and protagonists anyway. So, I mean, what difference does it make if Han Solo is just a true scoundrel through and through? And when we're done watching the movie, we scratch our heads and say, wait a minute, wasn't he the good guy? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it seems like just, more and more. Everybody likes a Jack Sparrow. Everybody likes But even scoundrel. Jack Sparrow had his little arc. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I see that he does something noble from a certain point of view. Yeah, <laughs> a certain point of view. <laughs> but you see, Joe, what we're talking about. Every angle you approach has so many pitfalls. Why not just do something else? Yeah. Just do yeah. something well, else. Because it's Disney. They yeah. can do anything they want. Speaking of them doing anything they want, Darth Vader is going to be in Star Wars Rogue One. Okay, maybe we should introduce what Rogue One is. Nobody listening to our show yet has heard of this. Rogue uh, One. That's not true. It's been announced a while back, and we've talked about it on the show before. Really? See, I, I knew we talked about the spinoff movies, but I did not know we had called one of them Rogue One. Yes, oh, yes. Okay. So it's, it's one of the Star Wars anthology films, um, and it's going to be uh, Gareth, directed by Gareth Edwards. Um, and uh, it, yeah, uh, So this uh, website, Birth Death Movies, uh, has learned <laughs> that uh, yeah that's a rebranding of uh, which site was that um clark you may know more than i do um, it, it, uh, i'm trying to think because I, i've read that site and the site it spun off from but i can't remember yeah, which one anyway it spun off from. it's a rebranding of one of the big movie sites anyway yeah, yeah. birth death movies has learned that darth vader will appear in star wars anthology rogue one but he will not be the film's main antagonist according to the report the darth sith lord I think they meant Dark Sith Lord. I don't, Darth is a title. Anyway. Uh, what about Darth we'll, Sith Lord? Yeah. We'll be working behind the scenes, pulling strings, and will appear on screen. Um, so that's that's the news. Um, we don't know exactly who the main antagonist will be. Some people are speculating Grand Moff Tarkin, et cetera, et cetera. So we know that this is set between uh, the end of Revenge of the Sith and the before uh, A New Hope. And so it makes sense that uh, that Darth Vader would appear. And uh, the, the the good thing about this is that you know as long as James Earl Jones is alive, you can pretty much to some extent put an actor that's tall enough in a Darth Vader costume, and you have Darth Vader. So I, I'm I actually am more positive about this development than I am about the Han Solo thing because I think this might be actually kind of fun. And and I'm glad that Disney is able to get their desire to have Darth Vader back on the screen in some form or fashion that does not involve somehow bringing him back from the dead, which we still haven't confirmed one way or the other that they won't do. But, um, yeah, I, I think this would be a much better use of Vader than trying to force him into later stories where he's already dead. Don't be surprised if they try to squeeze in a Darth Vader tra- franchise and call it The Lost Years or something <laughs> before this is all said and done. Yeah, well... I mean, I, I, you got to imagine. Here's what I'm imagining, a scenario where um, executives at Disney are racking their brains going, Darth Vader's dead, but man, he's iconic. He's Star Wars. When you see Darth Vader, you think of Star Wars. How can we get him on the screen? Can we bring him back from the dead? Oh, man, the fans would shoot us down. I've got it. He'll be in one of our anthology films. Yeah, and every flashback they ever make in another Star Wars film. <laughs> well, that's true, too. I expect him to be featured in some fashion in Episode Seven. Yeah, like we see the charred remains of his uniform 
you know, yeah, in the yeah. next movie. So there's going to be like uh, somebody in the next film who has a the spare Darth Vader suit from the Galactic Museum, you know, and they're going to walk by the exhibit and see Darth Vader's old suit, you know. So uh, some of the things that I've been thinking about in terms of how that they're going to try to pull this off, um, and uh, I'm just thinking in general of bringing Darth Vader back into the franchise somehow because he's so iconic – but it's going to be really hard to do in any films that are moving forward just because if he appears as a force ghost with Yoda and as we saw at the end of Return of the Jedi, he cannot appear as Vader. And that's what's iconic is him as Vader. So he can't appear as Vader as far as we like. Why would he? So, um, yeah, you got to you got to figure that this is a big deal to Disney to try to get one of their iconic characters back on the screen mm-hmm. making money. They got to make more action figures. Yes. What do you think about all this, Clark? I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, um, you know, I think it was an inevitability at some point that Darth Vader was going to be in a movie again because Darth Vader is hands down the most popular and iconic Star Wars character. Apologies to, you know, Han and Chewie and C-3PO and everybody, but it's clearly Darth Vader. Absolutely. And uh, whether or not it's a good idea is... uh, an irrelevant question in the world of business. Uh, it, it, it was going to happen, and now it's happening, and there we are. Your superpower is cynicism, isn't it? <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> well, I'm a little more excited than you, I think. Uh, I, I, I hope I, it'll be good. I do. Yeah. I, I don't think that it's going to be like you know Shakespeare or anything, or Shakespeare in the Park, or Avengers, or whatever. Uh, anyway, sorry, sidetrack. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be like you know super duper good or anything but i think that it'll be fine i I have much more hope for this than i do for the previous bit of star wars news we talked about which probably means it'll be the complete reverse of that but because that's my track record but that's that's kind of where i'm thinking right now so that's that's the star wars news and speaking of other news we have the london the london has fallen first look starring gerard butler what the heck is this let me tell you why i put this in the show notes I wanted Please to explain yourself. I, I wanted to know why this movie is being made. Ah, uh, because Gerard Butler is like the next Liam Neeson. But did Clark? Do you remember? Did the previous movie make that much money? I didn't think it did, but maybe it, I, it made money. Um, <sighs> it was terrible, but it, it made money. Let see, me see if I can hmm. find some stats on that. See, I don't agree that it was terrible. I thought it was just fine. In in retrospect, it wasn't as good as the film that was a lot like it, but was made by um, <laughs> um, Stargate director. Uh, what's his name? Um, you know which one I'm talking about. White House Down. Yeah, White House Down. In retrospect, that was a, a better film. Um, you, you know, and, and kind of lowered my my uh, position on this film. But I didn't think that the first film. Uh, 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 what was it called? Something has fallen. Olympus. Olympus. Has fallen. Olympus has fallen. I didn't think the first film Olympus has fallen was that bad, but I just don't understand what this whole sequel business like. Like it was a fine standalone film. Why are we making it a serialized thing? I don't get it. I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah, everybody's looking for their own Bruce Willis. Everybody wants to be the next <laughs> Bruce Willis. They yeah. want all the diehard franchise spinoffs they could possibly make, and it seems to be a, a surefire winner with some large. Tar- target audiences all around the world. I suppose. So if you make the uh, Olympus one, you're, you're mostly going to interest American audiences. You know, you're going to get some others too, but mostly Americans. So how do you appeal to a global audience? You know, just take the same character and put them in London and say that the terrorists are trying to kill off all the world leaders at the same time. So then all of a sudden you have everybody around the world who wants to see 
this guy who's already been established with his origin story in another movie. So we don't have to go there again. And you present something, uh, in a way of like a sequel. Theoretically, it just works. It's dumb, but it just works. (laughs) Going back to the box office question. Uh, the movie made $161 million worldwide, which isn't Jurassic world money, but it was a relatively inexpensive blockbuster. It cost 70 million. There you go. Okay. So it doubled its, you know, production budget and then a little bit. So, uh, enough to merit a sequel, I suppose. Yeah, merit is a strong word. Um, uh, well, again, from you know, from a business perspective, it does <laughs> it does make me sad that not only that this is getting a sequel, but that White House Down flopped when the latter was clearly just so much more entertaining. I agree. Um, I had a lot but, of problems with White House Down. In fact, I would say in some ways I had more problems with White House Down, but it was a far more entertaining film. Yeah, it was just it was it was a good time. Olympus Has Fallen took itself very seriously and yes. got tedious. Yes, in retrospect, I think I rated Olympus Has Fallen too highly because uh, because and 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 this you know White House Down kind of made me realize that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just <laughs> yes, this film the, the Olympus Has Fallen took itself so seriously. That's a really good observation. It was just very very serious, and and it, a movie like this shouldn't be played straight. I don't think. But what I don't understand is why in the – so so the president and, 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 and Gerard Butler, uh, Mike Banning, whatever his name is, are, are in London, and, and then stuff happens uh, similar to what happened with Olympus has fallen. Like, I, I, you guys are pushing my – you're stretching my believability here. Uh, I, I don't know. Joe, are you gonna, you, you're going to love this film, aren't you? Oh, yes, TJ, my alley. <laughs> Your hopes and dreams all right on this one. It's a Velociraptor's playground. <laughs> Enough of Show that. Title. Enough of that. So one more bit of news before we get on to our main review topic, and that is that Daredevil has cast someone who I hope one of you know because I don't, uh, Elodie Young, Elodie Young as Elektra. So two things that I want to know, hopefully from one of you two, um, or maybe one one each from you two. I don't know. First of all, I'm not that I'm not at all familiar with Daredevil the comics. I loved the Netflix series. Uh, I, I loved is not a strong enough uh, word, but I'll come up with something better later. So I loved Daredevil on Netflix, um, and I don't know, but I don't know anything about the comics. I don't know who Elektra is, and I don't think I've ever heard of Elodie Elodie Young before. So someone enlighten me. What's going on here? Um. Electra is one of the more compelling characters in the comics. Mm. Uh, you can find out about her origin story in a less than entertaining way by watching the movie Electra that came out about 10 years ago with mm. Jennifer Garner. Okay, uh, yeah. It was a spinoff from the first Daredevil movie. That doesn't uh, it, sound fun. It, yeah, it gives, you, it gives you the basic idea of who she is, but it's just a terrible movie. Um, she is at the center of some of Daredevil's... Uh, most iconic comic book storylines though. Mm. And if they get her story right, she could potentially be a very promising addition to the second season. So, so have you heard of this actress who I am undoubtedly mispronouncing her name? I just looked her up. I've seen her in a couple of movies, but I do not remember who she played. She was in the girl with the dragon tattoo. Mm, Okay. And she was in GI Joe retaliation. Right. But, um, like I said, I do not really recall her character in either of those. So, yeah, 
doesn't look like she's had many like big parts yet. This may be her her big break. Yeah, well, it's no doubt that people are going to watch. Uh, I, I don't know of anybody. I've not yet heard of anybody who didn't like the first season of Daredevil, and I hope neither of you two say that you didn't like it because I sure I sure love the heck out of that series. Yeah, I enjoyed nope, it. It's, it's a good show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean that, that had everything that you were kind of look. I mean, it's almost like. And again, I I like Arrow and I like uh, um, uh, the Flash well enough. But it's almost like Marvel's over here going, let, let us show you how to make a good TV show out of comic book characters. And because this is head and shoulders above of anything that DC has done on TV. Well, and it helps, I think, that it's only 13 episodes. Yeah, and sure. uh, there, there's not as much time for filler. Yeah, it, going further with the comparison to Arrow, I think the Arrow lost its way in the last season because it was too long. Like the story they were trying to tell could have been, should have been told in 13 episodes, not 20. Um, so that, I think that was to Arrow's detriment. And Arrow is probably the, the closest comparison tonally as far as, yes. you know, the first season of Daredevil feels a good bit like the first season of Arrow. But well, right down it, to, this is my city, you know, I protect right. the city, that sort of thing, yeah. Right, but uh, Daredevil has a little bit less time for sort of, uh, you know, pointless filler or boring subplots around the edges. Relationship switches and people right. loving the wrong people and people, yeah, the the whole yeah. uh, soap opera aspect is completely mm-hmm. absent from Daredevil for the most part. There's a little bit of it in the uh, Foggy and what's the girl's name? Yeah, I don't remember her name. There, there's some of that there, but not a lot. Yeah, like I said, for the most part, it's it's mostly absent. And what is there it seems fine. Uh, where Arrow, it just got tedious. It just was like, oh, man, I want to get back to the core story. I, I like Arrow, and I want to continue liking Arrow, so stop it. Knock it off, you guys. <laughs> so uh, I know our good friend uh, Fizz has given up on Arrow publicly. He tweeted, I am so done with Arrow. I'm not coming back so long. So, you know, no no thanks to you for anything. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's pretty frustrated. Um, and I can see why. So... Definitely looking forward to season two of Daredevil, and I'm sure that this young lady is uh, going to be very good at whatever. Because I mean, the cast, like the casting, was so perfect in in Daredevil, or, or you know, the casting and the acting and the screenwriting, just everything about it. I just loved it. So, um, I, I uh, anyway, I could I could go on about Daredevil. So we should probably move on to our review of Jurassic World. It's not about control. Stand down. It's a relationship. Based on respect. These animals are thinking, I gotta eat. I gotta hunt. I gotta... You gotta be able to relate to at least one of those things. Every time we've unveiled a new attraction, attendance has spiked. That was awesome! Corporate felt genetic modification would up the wow factor. They're dinosaurs. Wow enough. She was designed to be bigger than the T-Rex. What happened to the sibling? She ate it. So that was from the trailer for Jurassic World. It was released to theaters on June the 12th, 2015. It had a budget of $150 million. Opening weekend, it brought in $208.8 million. The worldwide gross thus far is $1.3 billion. And uh, I assume it is probably uh, kind of waning off from there. I don't, see, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot more than that because we're several weeks out now. But... It did make $1.3 billion, guys. This movie 
Uh, hmm, this may be why we can't have nice things. Uh, the critic consensus is that Jurassic World can't match the original for sheer inventiveness and impact, but it works in its own right as an entertaining and visually dazzling popcorn thriller. The director was Colin Trevorrow, and the writers were Rick Jaffa, Amanda Silver, Colin Trevorrow, and Derek Connolly. The stars are Chris, Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, Irfan Khan, Vincent D'Onofrio, Ty Simpkins, Nick Robinson, Jake Johnson, Omar Sy, B.D. Wong, Judy Greer, and Lauren Lapkus. The composer is the same composer who has scored every other movie this year. It is Michael Giacchino, and he did just fine. I, I, it was not my favorite of his scores this year, but uh, it, it was fine. What, what it, while we're here, Clark, what did you think of the score? Uh, I thought it was a fine score, uh, probably my least favorite of his scores this yes. year, mm-hmm. but still a good one. Um, I'll get into some other sort of issues I had with it later on, but okay. it, yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it, yeah. My, my overall issue, uh, I suppose I'll probably talk about it more when we when you talk about it, Clark, but my overall issue with the score was it felt as if uh, he was being asked, we need more Jurassic Park theme in there, and it just felt kind of wedged in. Yep. Um, so we'll we'll talk about that more, I'm sure. Joe, why don't you tell us all about this story? Okay, so here's what we got. 22 years after the original Jurassic Park has failed, the new park, also known as Jurassic World to make a huge difference, is opening for business. Actually, it's been open for business for a while now, and after years of studying genetics, the scientists on the park engineer uh, side of the business have singularly created a new dinosaur that they call Indominus Rex. Mm. When literally Mm. everything goes horribly wrong, our heroes and 20,000 park patrons fight for their lives. I'm hoping one of you can tell me why in the world anybody thought that it was a good (laughs) idea to try to open this park again. I have not seen uh, two and three but I have seen the first one, and I don't understand why this part got opened again. Can one of okay. you enlighten me how this could possibly yeah. happen? Um, monster movies are very much akin to like horror films, <laughs> and that's basically what this is. Only in this particular fair, it happens during the daytime in the light with cutesy dinosaurs that always wind up becoming monsters. But at the beginning, you're supposed to believe it's just another Toy Story film. And you know what ends up happening is like – you know, they can't help themselves. You know how in a monster movie, the people always dumbly go into the woods where all the monsters live. They just do, you know, in a a movie about a haunted house, everybody ends up spending the night in the haunted house. Well, in this case, you have 20,000 customers, paying customers attending the monster park. So they they just can't help themselves. And, and, you know, if uh, filmmakers can convince you that that many people all want to be on an Island with uh, man eating dinosaurs, then, they can convince you that they would reopen the park and that uh, everybody in the modern age in the real world would actually pay tickets to go watch this movie. Here's the thing though. They didn't convince me. I, d- uh, I did well, not you, buy you it. didn't have to be convinced. Everybody else attending the movie and watching it did. <laughs> Apparently. And, and, and you were a sucker to go watch it. <laughs> Only because I, ha- I would not have gone to watch this movie if I had not had a podcast to do about it. Would you have? You know, yeah. To be royally honest, TJ, I, I wanted to see this film with or without the podcast you know, motivation because mm. I, I was a longstanding fan of the original one. And yes. I like John Williams' score. I, I really appreciated what they did for special effects. 
It's some of the best, uh, you know, dinosaurs you've ever seen in films came out of the Jurassic Park films. Even even though the other films were not nearly as good as the first one, I just wanted to hope against hope that, you know, with people like Chris Pratt and what's her name? Um, Bryce Dallas board. Howard. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I, I like both of those actors a great deal. And, and so I was hoping that, uh, you know, they could squeeze a great film out of this. Uh, didn't happen. No, that did not happen at all. Clark, do you have opening statements to make? Uh, um, <laughs> perfect. I love it. That, that, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this movie is, it's weird. In addition to being bad, it's a weird movie and yes. it seems to know how bad it is and how little sense it makes. I agree. And like, it's constantly apologizing for that, but not actually fixing any of that. Yes. I completely uh, agree. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a strange movie and, um, it just feels like a roller coaster ride. It feels like one of those theme park, you know, rides at universal studios or something. And you're right, TJ, that, uh, you know, it doesn't make sense that they would open this park again in the first place, admittedly. If any human beings in these movies had any sense, there wouldn't have been a sequel at all to the first one. <laughs> right. But in this case, it seems particularly weird um, <laughs> because every single person who has any real authority in this park, Chris Pratt's character accepted, is so ridiculously dumb Uh, It's amazing to me that this thing has been operating for several years successfully without any incidents. Absolutely. The level of incompetence is like, how could you run this park? I know how to run the park better than they do. (laughs) And and throughout the entire movie, the movie knows how stupid they are because you've constantly got somebody, usually Chris Pratt's character, (laughs) saying, this is a bad idea. People are going to get killed. This is terrible. And the people are like, no, 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 let's just do it. And then people get killed, and usually that person gets killed too. (laughs) Right. And that's over and and over and over again. Yeah, that's the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do anything in the slightest to to tick off the universe in the first, you know, act of the film, unless you're Bryce Dallas Howard's character, then you're bound to get it in the rest of the film. She's the one who gets an exception. Yeah. You know, like the, the, there was her assistant that was playing nanny for a day, mm-hmm. and and I guess it was just uh, oh, not man. good enough that I, she tried to recover oh, and apologize and find the I boys. I have so and much to make, say about that. I have so much to say, and we're not okay. even there yet. Yeah. Uh, can, can I? Uh, okay, let's go back to the very first problem with the entire film: the bird standing on the snow. What was with that? I don't even. I don't why, even know. Why were they celebrating Christmas at the beginning of the movie? <laughs> It didn't make any sense. It was just for effect. Like they just wanted to show us that foot stomping and it was a, looked like a dinosaur foot. And then they zoom out and it's just a little do, bird. Do we either of you know or remember if they had any like Christmas decorations in the house? Because there was just a scene or two inside, right? Where they established the family at the home, but they were playing Christmas music and there was snow on the ground. Well, then why wasn't the house decorated? I, I didn't I certainly notice didn't see any Christmas decorations at Jurassic yeah, and, and, World. And so when I saw, yeah, the weird exactly. part. I know. And so it was so jarring. I was like, you totally put that in there just for the home entertainment release. Maybe. I don't know. Like, again, it just doesn't make sense. 
the whole but, the whole but, beginning uh, of this movie didn't make any sense. Like the, the, just getting getting to the main plot of, of the movie, none of it made any sense. None of the dots connected. It was just weird. It's like it's yeah. almost like they said, "We've got to get these kids to Jurassic Park somehow. We've already made the rest of this movie. I know. We'll just throw them in a car and send them <laughs> off to the airport. I, I I don't know. It was just so weird. It, it, and and the whole uh, okay, so we really got to get divorced this weekend. So while we're doing that, we're going to send the kids off to a, a, a dinosaur park with their aunt but, but, but just like, chill and, out. Am I missing something? Did that, the, the first time that the whole divorce thing came up or was hinted at, and maybe I just missed it, but like was in the – like everything – the kids were having fun, and all of a sudden the little kid is crying. He's like, I heard the parents talking about they were going to get divorced. And I'm like, where did this come from? What the heck is this? Well, I, I think it's something that you know clearly happened – off screen somewhere else earlier in the movie. And I didn't really object to that part of it so much, but it, it does seem like a very peculiar parenting move at the very least. Yes. Yes. It was like you, would, you would think that you would want to, you know, be there with your kids to sort of, help them through the aftermath of that as opposed to, you know, yeah, shipping and, them off somewhere. But, but then so, so like it was referenced and the kid was crying and it literally did nothing else for the movie. It was never talked about again. We don't know whether the parents were going to divorce or not. And they didn't, yeah. they didn't address it at all. Like, and I don't even know what it was there for. <laughs> that would have been though. Uh, I guess if we're kind of sort of getting into not dinosaur related spoiler territory, <laughs> but framing structure, spoiler territory. Uh, it would have been kind of amusing if at the end of the movie uh, the kids had gotten back and they'd survived this adventure and the parents were like, yeah, but we're still getting divorced, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Why did they I don't even know, go I, there? I really was curious, though, about whether or not uh, their kids almost dying would have thrown a wrench into that. You got to imagine they intended to go there or like something because as it is, why bring it up? Why did why was that in this movie at all? It, it, it didn't do anything. It didn't do anything at all. I'll tell you why I think it was there is because I think it was an attempt to make it feel more like a Spielberg movie because that's something that he's dealt with in a lot of his films sure. is, uh, you know, kids coming from families of divorce because that's something he grew up with. And it works in his movies because he knows how it feels and how to play with it. This movie is just sort of throwing it in there uh, because that's supposedly part of the recipe for a successful Spielbergian blockbuster, not because it has any idea of what to do with it. That is a really big, good point, That a bigger picture point that I wanted to touch on, which is that a lot of this movie feels that way. It's like, well, Spielberg would have done it this way, so let's right. do this. Just, just like several times we get these, and especially right at the beginning when we get to Jurassic World and several more times throughout the movie, we get these big sweeping flyover Spielbergian shots but the problem is they're not Spielbergian shots because they have no purpose. They don't take you anywhere. Like the specifically the flyover shot of of Jurassic World at the beginning. You, mm -hmm. you know, yes. it feels like you're about to zoom in on something, and then as soon as it feels like maybe the shot's going to show you or reveal something to you, it cuts away. And it's like I can't stand shots that have no purpose like that. It's like it's just like sweeping over everything, but no reason for it. And that's a shot too that really bothered me because of the way the music was used. That's yes, the first time where you that. hear John Williams' classic Jurassic Park theme showing yes. up on the soundtrack. And of course, that theme has this fantastic sense of wonder and grandeur. And in the movie, you know, you hear that theme when humanity is seeing these sights that have not been seen in their lifetime. Yes. Uh, just this incredible. Uh, remarkable wonder of science that has been achieved. It it really is a beautiful thing. Here, it's used for you know, kind of a glorified Six Flags. <laughs> yes, which, 
I, I, I don't know whether I'm unique in this experience, but I've experienced this before with movies where they try to make up for the lack of proper filmmaking with really bombastic scoring and things. And for me, I don't know if this is the way it is for most people, but for me, that always, always, always has the opposite effect. They're dialing up the music, and I'm, I'm going, I feel nothing. In fact, now I feel just angry. Like, why are you doing this to me? Yeah, if the music is overcompensating for something that isn't there, uh, it it ends up having a negative effect. Yes, and I I don't – like I said, I I would be interested to know if that happens for everybody or just me. It sounds like it happens for you, but I can think of a couple of other movies where they've really tried to overcompensate for something with the music, and it just makes me so angry. And this – that's part of why – in addition to every CG, every flyover shot being like this with no purpose, this particular shot was accompanied by that big bombastic music, and it's like – Guys, what are you doing? What is this? I don't get it. <laughs> so, yeah, that was super frustrating. And that, that the, the bombastic music actually, the rest of the music got better throughout the, but 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 that that whole you know just pointless shots. It just continued throughout the entire film. I just ugh. Yeah. Now, since we are still talking about the early part of the film, though, I want to say as just a fan of the Jurassic Park idea. Something that I always wanted to see that they gave me in one of my wish fulfillments was seeing the park actually functional and full of patrons. Because in theory, like that should have mattered a lot to the creator of the park. Like that would be that'd be just his original vision. And I, and I cared a lot about it as just a member of the audience enjoying him the first film. Um, and, and so seeing the way they flushed that out, that everybody was enjoying themselves, that it was a fully functional park, that they had done things with the park that actually were a little bit over the top. Some things were kind of futuristic. I wasn't crazy about the holograms in the exhibits and stuff because it was like, but Joe future future, man. But see, that's another one of the things that broke from what the original film did. I don't know if this was intentional by Spielberg or, or not, but in the original film, you had real world technologies apart from what the scientists were creating in the lab. Mm. All the computers, the security systems, the electric fences, the guns that they were toting around, everything was actually real world technologies. They didn't have special, you know, like hamster balls and uh, <laughs> they didn't have, you know, holograms. And that felt like a huge departure from the, the feel of the original film. Apart from that though, I really enjoyed the detail on the design of the entire park. The idea that they showed more of the island, that they had more of a uh, like a a space very close to the water, so that you weren't deep in the jungle where you just had to be nestled in into some buildings. Uh, that actually made a little bit of sense to me that the attraction would be right along the coastline. Uh, so that there would be different ways that people could get to the island and appreciate different like kinds of recreation. Maybe you were there with your family. You would enjoy the water as well as the dinosaurs. Um, just different ideas. The, the, the way they toyed with it, it felt like a real park. And it was really cool to see 20,000 people wandering the streets of the park. It actually felt like there could be that many people in the park during the story as it was taking place in the film. Mm. Well, um, I'm not going to have very many likes, so I'm just going to mention the, the things that I like about this film and then let you guys talk for a while. My feelings about this <laughs> I movie... I don't think that's going to happen. I think uh, I'm going to be the only one speaking. Okay. Ouch. My feelings about this movie are overwhelmingly negative, um, but uh, the things that I did like about it have mostly to do with Chris Pratt. 
uh, being Chris Pratt. Like, for the most part, everything that he did, anytime he was on the screen, it almost made me happy I was watching the film. Not quite, but almost. Uh, he, he was he was great. Uh, some of the humor between him and Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, some of it was didn't work, but some of it did, and, and that was fine. And And Bryce Dallas Howard wasn't by the end of the film, wasn't completely unlikable as she was toward the beginning of the film. There's just a hint of an arc there with her character. And, and for, for all the other, uh, for all the utter dreck around everything else, a little bit of an arc was, was definitely like a, a drip of cold water on my tongue in a hot desert. Um, and, and then occasionally, <laughs> occasionally the kids were Okay. That's it. Those are my likes for this film. <laughs> Do you have any Clark that you before we let Joe rattle on? Uh, yeah, I have a couple of likes. Um, I like the dinosaurs. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> the, the, seriously, the, any any almost any portion of the movie, with one major exception, almost any portion of the movie that features dinosaurs eating people, uh, <laughs> I was a fan of. <laughs> Because everybody in this movie's a moron and you wanted them to be eaten? That's partially it, and it's partially because uh, Colin Trevorrow, despite his many faults here, um, is a pretty good action director. Um, He knows how to stage an action scene. Um, They were fairly intelligent and well choreographed, and as ridiculous as it was, I particularly enjoyed the uh, bonkers finale. Um, I thought that was a really... Again, stupid, but fun and entertainingly staged sequence. And I was having a genuinely good time when I was watching that stretch of the movie. I'll have to um, give that one to you and even even Echo to some extent. I don't know that I enjoyed it as much as you, but I will say without revealing a spoiler that they surprised me with how the, 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 uh, the monsters were resolved, how the dinosaurs kind of resolved themselves. They definitely surprised me with that. I wasn't expecting it, and, and not in a bad way. And... And, uh, yeah, I, I, the end sequence wasn't so bad. I'll, I'll give you that. And I mean, even then I will admit I was sort of thinking, well, Godzilla did this better, (laughs) but, uh, yes. Which, which Godzilla older than, older than the most recent one, I assume. What's that? Uh, Which Godzilla though? Well, I was thinking of the most recent Godzilla. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, But I like, I like that movie. Um, Hmm. But yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of Chris Pratt, and I, I'll get into that. Oh, no. I, I'm a fan of Chris Pratt in general, not in this movie. Okay, okay. But I, I, I'll get into that once we get into dislikes. Okay. All right, Joe. Have at it. Oh, is man. that really it? Um, okay, well, let me think. Uh, <laughs> I liked the um, the funny dude in the control room, Jake Johnson's character. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's scene, true. His scenes were entertaining. Yeah, Jake Johnson and and to some extent Lauren Lapkus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. it she when was he was the, Their the scenes were nice. That was a nice bit of uh, comic relief. Uh, the score, when it wasn't focusing on the John Williams material, was fairly enjoyable and in fact and effective. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but that's <laughs> about it. That's really you know those yeah. are the things I enjoyed about the movie. Yeah. All right, Joe. Okay, I'm trying to consolidate my notes and figure out which ones are likes and dislikes. Um, Commercialism came up with the guy in the control room who was wearing the Jurassic Park t-shirt. And uh, that was pretty clever when he was wearing the park shirt and it was like a throwback because he picked it up on eBay or something. But then he introduced to this idea that he was opposed to commercialism and everything. And and it was just – I loved that – they they threw out this completely random topic, which was just to develop the character. 
I, but I, then, I call that irony personally. It, it, it was, it, it was. <laughs> and in this film just really bothered me how they were attacking the businessmen at the top. And then they were attacking this uh, other corporation for uh, trying to take advantage of the park, but they still made some interesting allusions to like the dark side of, of huge corporations. And you oh. know, yes, uh, well <laughs> you could say the force, the dark side of the force in the real world, which is uh corporations and stuff like that. So it, it was all very interesting that they just kind of threw that in there and really didn't develop it very well, but still made some allusions. I thought were nice. Uh, going to back to something you said, Clark, I just have to say this in passing because it's still fresh. <laughs> I was not crazy about the, the amount of special effects shots. There must've been in this film that were bathed in CGI little things that just had to have been done and knowing half of the time that, well, when watching the original Jurassic park, it felt like sometimes the animatronics were even better than the CGI doubles of the dinosaurs. Whereas in this film, I couldn't ever really tell you when there was a CGI model versus an animatronic. And I don't know if that was a failure on one or the other's part, but Somewhere in between there, there were just a few times when I, I was reminded that this is just a bunch of CGI animated stuff and none of this is real. And, and, and I think ultimately it's because I missed the feel of really well-executed animatronics. Um, but I, I, I'm not going to say that was a, a huge complaint, just more of a disappointment that uh, – okay, here's an example. An example where it kind of failed the story. Um, we have – Chris Pratt on a motorcycle uh, uh, playing catch up to his herd of velociraptors running through the jungle in the dark of night. And it makes a very interesting shot. It makes a very, you know, iconic moment, but something doesn't make any sense in this shot here, guys. Why in the world is it that the velociraptors seem completely unfazed by the motorcycle? They have never run alongside of it before, and to the best of our knowledge, they've never seen it up close before. And and essentially, at the beginning of the scene, the motorcycle is chasing them. So why is it the velociraptors pay no mind to the motorcycle at all? Joe, are we talking about your likes or dislikes? I, I... it had to be this had to be brought up because this was one of Clark's likes. Sorry, but it's true. Think about it. Like why is well, it the velociraptors that at that moment act like animated dislike, you know? But yeah. yeah. I mean, come on, this show has to be well organized, Joe. Well organized. <clears throat> okay. Continue. Um um uh okay, who is Owen in the movie? I in my notes I wrote this down in the theater. Uh, that would be Chris Pratt. Okay, I said I love that Owen is drinking bottled Coca-Cola. Okay. When he's at his uh, trailer. Is this is this where you have to go to find likes for this film, Joe? Come on, you love product placement in movies. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, 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 I think I'm running out, guys. Wow, so you were all like, I'm going to be the only one with likes, and you don't really have anything. Wait a minute, wait, 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 I have something here. The walk around. The we may room. have already covered his likes, though. The <laughs> point is, is that anything else that was a like was not very major. Like, I have some other ones here, guys, but honestly, it was like it, it, really not even worth mentioning. Uh, it, let's let's take a step back here and try to understand, though, why maybe the audiences in general want to like this film. Please do tell I, I, us, Joe. You 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 are so connected with the audiences. I want to hear. I this. I feel like everybody going into this film who walked away from it actually really really in liking it and not seeing the difference between this and the original film 
didn't appreciate the original film for any artistic value. I think that what they saw in the original movie was a monster film that had a huge budget. So everything was in bright colors and just seemed very exciting. And there were some blood. So you're saying the general audience came for, Ooh, monster roar, roar, explode. Yeah. Maybe not even the quality that they would call monster. Just, they wanted to have something that was where they could vegetate and chill and just unwind for the weekend. I think that people really went to this film expecting just a great experience with a bucket of popcorn. Like, Mm. and that's what they got. If you empty your head of criticism and you're not looking for any artistic value and you just say, Oh, pretty lady. Ooh, big teeth. Ooh, big guns. Whoa, lots of blood. Then you'll enjoy this movie. I I think it's a little bit more complicated than that, though. I I do think that there's genuine nostalgia for the original movie. For sure. That's playing a big part in this film's success. Because even though uh, I honestly don't think of the first Jurassic Park as one of Steven Spielberg's better movies, I think it's fine. But um, there are a lot of people who have a lot of love for that movie, especially people who grew up with it. And, uh, you know, saw the first like really good representation of dinosaurs on the big screen uh, with that film. It really tapped into something. And I do think there's something weirdly uh, universally appealing about this concept. I I went to a family reunion over the 4th of July weekend and I was surprised like every single one of my relatives, you know, uh, they all know I'm kind of the movie guy. Mm -hmm. And all of them, uh, without fail, at some point they were coming up to me and asking, hey, did you see Jurassic World? What did you think of it? Either because they had seen it and wanted to talk about it or because they were thinking about going right, to see it. Right. And I don't know. There's there's just something uh, very kind of broadly appealing about the notion of uh, this whole dinosaur park concept. And I think it helps, too, that. You know, when Chris Pratt was cast, he wasn't necessarily one of the biggest movie stars in the world, but has become one uh, by the time the movie came out. He's a, an incredibly likable figure, and I think one of the, you know, genuinely huge stars out there at this point. And I think um, after Guardians of the Galaxy and Parks and Recreation and all of the enjoyable stuff that he's done, uh, his name is sort of associated with feel good entertainment. Yes, for sure. Joe, was there anything else? I want to give you a fair chance here. Mm. I'm about to shred your movie to pieces. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I mean, it's not my movie. Uh, <laughs> da, 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 da. And seeing this. Take right. accountability for it, Joe. All right. <laughs> okay. I want to. Uh, I want to. I want to start in on this movie. Uh, I, I want. I want to leave okay. no. I want you to do that, TJ. I, I want to leave nothing unshredded. Um, you mentioned Joe at the beginning of your, uh, when we started talking about this film that ultimately Jurassic Park and, and Jurassic World. And I think you would probably say the other two films as well, although I haven't seen them, but you would argue, and I would agree that they are essentially horror films. Yeah. Um, well, monster movies anyway. Yeah. Uh, horror light, I think would be a good way to put it. And I, and I, I agree. I think that they were definitely going for some of that. Steven Spielberg was definitely going for some of that and captured it well with Jurassic Park. Whatever the failings of Jurassic Park are that I pointed out in our review of that film, um, please don't email me. Um, you know, I I think that it, it what it did well was that it had genuine suspense and terror and. Uh, there were times when, you know, Spielberg was able to evoke the sense of horror without showing you a doggone thing. 
And this movie, I think, wants to do that, but it doesn't like it doesn't have any of the finesse that Spielberg has. And so you don't you don't get this terror that the, the same terror that happened when just the edge of a nose or an eye would creep into the frame with Spielberg with this film like they just can't evoke that same emotion it's bad bad representation of trying to do what Spielberg did with successfully with Jurassic Park you see this nose creeping around but Colin Trevorrow just can't help but then all of a sudden show you everything he just can't help it and it just doesn't work it none of it works at all like it's just such bad representation of what Spielberg did so well with Jurassic Park um, well, and the same thing happened, uh, you know, going back to a similar example with the Jaws sequels. I don't know if either of you have seen any of those, but Steven Spielberg's first Jaws movie was so effective because of how little he showed and how uh, often he held his cards close to his chest. Yes. You often had the suggestion of the shark rather than, you know, a shot of the actual shark. And as those sequels went on and on, you had more and more like, you know, actual sort of let's show everything effects shots and the movies got increasingly less suspenseful and engaging and scary. I enjoy good CGI shots when they work well. I, I really enjoy just depending on the genre. For instance, I really enjoy seeing good sci-fi ships and things that are really well done. But for the most part, I don't think CGI has been kind to storytelling. And I think this movie is a prime example of this problem. I, uh, I, I yeah, I, I think the big part of the problem is they're not patient with it. Exactly. Um, I, I think they need to give these movies more time if they're going to use a lot of CGI to give them as much time as they need to fine-tune it and make it right. And if it means the movie comes out next year instead of this year, that's fine. Just get it right, and we'll see it when it comes out. Yeah, the- but everybody's rushing to meet these tentpole deadlines, and we have a lot of movies – um, this movie is bad at certain points. I don't know if either of you saw Terminator Genesis, but that not yet almost looks unfinished at times mm. uh, with but the CGI. That's a common problem. Although, and I completely agree with you that uh, the, the, some of the CGI in this film felt completely fake. Uh, and and I, I I really feel like we are at the point where CGI does not need to feel as fake as it did in this film. But wait a minute, really? You thought it felt downright? Fake? Some of it did, yes. I, I okay. was not sold on some of the CG huh. in this film. But but that aside, I was actually referring more to this idea that even if the CGI had been perfectly affected in this film, I think that the tool being available should be a good thing, but it's not. Because people are, are taking the CGI and showing us stuff that they – but before, when the film was film was the medium was limited in the storytelling, it forced filmmakers to do more suspenseful things and to do things to get around it that actually made the films better. And I think we're just still in this um, we're in this mode in filmmaking right now. And this film again is a prime example. It they just shove everything and all of it in your face, and it just completely destroys any sense of suspense. Uh, any sense of of foreboding? I mean, because it's just they're just laying it all out on the screen. It just uh, there's you know there's this old adage show don't tell, yeah, but now yeah. we're we're in this uh, show them everything all the time, uh, and it just doesn't that doesn't work either. There's a ditch on both sides of the road, and we've fallen into the other one now. Well, and while you're on this, TJ, it also brings to mind one of my other dislikes was that I wrote down effects and animation belong in a sensational commercial. Hmm. And that's something I've noticed over the years that every time I turn on the television again and I see traditional commercials or maybe I happen to be unfortunately watching a commercial at the beginning of a YouTube video that I don't have regular broadcast television anymore. So I don't see them very often. And when I do, every time I'm shaken by the fact that 
the the more expensive looking commercials are just drenched in lots of animation a variety of kinds of animation and there's all these elaborate gimmicks and shticks to try and just constantly keep your uh, attention span for 30 seconds yeah. And this film feels like it's uh, it's delusionally got some of that feel to it throughout the film, where it's like you say sh- they're just showing and showing and showing off what they can do these days, and maybe it was just coming to them so easy that they uh, they just thought that they would. So why not? Yeah, it's weird, but the effects in the original Jurassic Park still look better to me than mm. the effects in this movie. And I, uh, if you now I recognize that. There are textures and nuances that are captured with modern CGI that weren't even possible then. Yes. I acknowledge that. But all of the dinosaurs in the original Jurassic Park have a sense of physical weight. When you're looking at them, you feel as if they're really standing right there. Yes. yes, yes. yes. Um, that is not captured nearly often enough in Jurassic World. It's all too obvious that we're watching – uh, pixels flying around in front of us. And it, it's something that's so important to capture. And a big part of it is that the original Jurassic Park leaned so much heavier on, you know, actual dinosaur models yeah, for some of those close-up shots. Yes. And yeah, yeah. And it made a huge difference. Those shots look fantastic. And then, you know, the the CGI for the big, broad, long shots and everything. But um, I, I always find a way to relate stuff back to Star Trek, as you guys may know. Um, and, and one of the things that is striking to me in the remastering of in, in, into HD of Star Trek The Next Generation, I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. They went back to the original model shots and it, it I'm telling you, it looks so much better than almost any CGI ships I can think of in any incarnation of any sci-fi thing anywhere. And I think this is the equivalent of that. We're looking at these, you know, these beautifully rendered dinosaurs, but they, they animate them without any weight. They don't feel like they, they don't feel like they have the weight that they should. They don't feel like they're moving the way dinosaurs should. They don't feel well composited. It, n- none of it just, it just doesn't feel real. Absolutely. It's just, mm, it just frustrates me. Yeah, and I mean, that, that, that's why in a lot of films, I, I kind of have the thought I would almost rather be watching a claymation version of this <laughs> oh, just dear. because it, I know it would have that sense of physical presence and would feel more tangible than yeah. this does. Yeah, I think the best example of what you all are talking about, the, the, the animals not having their weight is the, the scene when they're in the hamster wheel. And the boys crank up the speed of the wheel as they're passing over the plane and almost in complete sync with the fact that they accelerated their vehicle. The dinosaurs keep up with the exact same pace without any problems whatsoever. Like they were completely still, almost motionless. And as the wheel speeds up, they follow the wheel and they just keep in perfect sync with it. And I wrote that down and I was like, that, 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 that looked ridiculous. It just did. Yeah. A lot of that, a lot of that sequence looked ridiculous, in my opinion. <sighs> All right, um, this film leaned so heavily on nostalgia, at least in the beginning. I, I think it well, and so there was this huge sequence, several sequences in the beginning that leaned so heavily on the nostalgia of the first film, and then there was that business in the middle where they found basically the old Jurassic Park stuff, and just like, uh, just, come on, guys, acknowledge it and then move on. But it just felt like they continued lingering there time after time. It, it, I think one of you referenced this, but are are you guys on the same page with me on that? Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. They, they leaned on the nostalgia factor far too often, especially given that this is a whole 
an entirely different sort of movie yes. from the original Jurassic Park. And TJ, one of the things you mentioned is that this film isn't nearly as, as effectively scary or suspenseful as the original. I think part of that is because it isn't trying to be. This wants to be a big sort of action adventure movie, not that combination of beauty and terror that mm. Steven Spielberg was going for. Yeah, maybe so. Um, but it, it's so frequently comparing itself to the original film and drawing memories of the original film that you can't help but think about how much less effective this one is at so many things. Um, uh, yeah. Speaking of another one of the um, ineffective things was the, the small character arc of the new owner of the Island Mesrani. Yes. The, the guy, his performance was okay. It's the first thing I've seen in since anything since uh, the life of Pi. And, uh, my main problem with him was that you couldn't understand m- m- most of anything he said. Hmm. I, I, I didn't I understand his English. I understood everything he said. It's just everything really? he said was dumb. <laughs> and maybe that was part of the problem. I could not understand his English because it was just, oh, wow, mind-numbingly not, not interesting. Oh, <laughs> uh, you racist Clark, you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's but I mean, he's not alone in that. Again, it's almost everybody. It's uh, him. It's B.D. Wong's character. Yes. Who, that guy, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's amazing to me that all of these terrible things happen that he caused and that he basically kind of shrugs his shoulders and is like, what would you expect to happen? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I love the part where the, the, the owner of Jurassic World is asking him what is, what did he put in the, you know, the, what, what genes did he put or, or whatever it was or DNA in this dinosaur. I'm not at liberty to reveal that to you. And you're like, he freaking owns the thing. What do you mean he's not at liberty to reveal? I don't, I didn't understand what, and then he went on to say, well, you asked for it and you caused it, but he's not at liberty to reveal it to him. Like, I didn't understand what he meant. <laughs> right. Which was a dumb thing. And I get that they didn't want to reveal it to the audience at that point, but what they should have done instead is just have him lean forward and whisper it and have the owner of the park give one of those <gasps> looks sure, and then sure. we get back to something else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, <sighs> Yeah, there, there, there was a lot of ridiculousness in, in the management of Jurassic World. I don't know how don't, these people got these jobs. Yeah, you don't believe for a minute that this park could have been around and functioning as long as it had with the in- extreme incompetence on every level. And a, and a couple of like, okay, so I'm not an architect, right? Um, but there are a couple of serious design issues that bother me. One thing is uh, the little... I forget what they're called. Exploring balls that yeah, yeah, people yeah. get in. Um, the hamster, they're, the they're hamster not, balls. The hamster yeah. wheels. Yeah, they're not on any kind of guided track. You can take them anywhere you want, um, which makes no sense to me at all. Uh, you would think that at least there would be some sort of system where they shut off after you like went past a certain boundary yes. or something like that. Yes. But no, you just keep going and going and going wherever you want and get in all kinds of trouble. You can take the, one of those things and you can fall into a lake somewhere in the park or something like yes, that if yes. you want to. Um, that, that's ridiculous to me. Uh, you cannot trust the general public with that sort of thing without all kinds of lawsuits and stuff coming up. It's just a disaster waiting to happen. I was actually super, super confused but, by that entire thing. Like I was looking for like, they've got to be on some sort of track, right? Like I was very confused about that at first because like they, left, they left on a track. 
Right. Surely a bunch of people are going to try and have like bumper car fights with them yes. and stuff too. And yeah, that's just an awful idea. Well, and, and it, you got all these people in line, right? And they're waiting <laughs> on the ride, but but wait, the, those people, they've been out there for hours and there's no way to bring them back in apparently. Yeah, they, they go off for an <laughs> undetermined amount of time yeah. wherever they want to see whatever they want. Um, <sighs> and then the other thing, the the aviary makes no sense to me at all. Um, they have seemingly... Uh, <laughs> hundreds of killer birds trapped in this relatively small <laughs> for people area. to come and see <laughs> but 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 like who how are people supposed to be looking at those i mean what are they there for if because surely you can't go in there or you'd get you know shredded exactly. to pieces within seconds exactly but they've got a building full of them like not just a few but just jam-packed full of those things yes uh, well <laughs> I, I was like what what is what is this building's function in this park, uh, just just to have them and say we do have them the, the, the and let you watch a video. The building's function is, is to serve the plot so that it can be broken yeah. open so that the birds, can, the bird dinosaurs can come out and kill a bunch of people. I don't know. Jurassic World was very poorly designed, aside from the fact that they had the good sense to, uh, you know, put like a Starbucks and different things in there so they could get those product placement dollars <laughs> to fund the film's production. Uh, but, yes. There was a lot of product placement in this movie, like there an was. embarrassing amount. Yes, I agree. I, n- I noticed that at the uh, the central station in the middle of the main boardwalk, where they had all the holograms, at the top of the building, it was it was named the Samsung Innovation Center. Yes. Wow. <laughs> well, and, and like the the whole thing where uh, you know, it, and that's another part where the movie's kind of apologizing for itself, where it talks about how oh everything's gonna be sponsored by some corporation these days and it's going to be the Verizon wireless this and that and you know bemoaning that fact while also just really embracing it right. and cutting to a shot of a well-oiled Chris right. Pratt taking a swig of Coca-Cola <laughs> like some sort of you know it really looked like a shot directly from a commercial <laughs> well and it's like um one of the things I wrote directly related to this this movie is about itself it's a self-parody about commercialism like you know it's like well, we have to be sponsored by, by the way, Verizon Wireless and Samsung. I mean, it, we just, we have to do it. And, <laughs> and, and even, you know, the, the very nature of the plot, it's like, well, this is a bad idea, but these people are doing it because they want money. You yes, know, <laughs> yes. This is the exact same thing applies to the movie here. Well, and, and, um, and, and like the owner, you know, he's like, you know, at the beginning of the movie, so they want him to be this, this guy that really cares and he's, he's got morals and he's like, so are the dinosaurs happy? Of course, you have to know whether the dinosaurs are happy or not. I want the dinosaurs to be happy, and and we only do things that make people happy, and we're here to make people happy, and we have these morals, and blah, blah, blah. And then later in the film, he's like, we can't kill that dinosaur. He costs so much money. You know, we can't kill him. He's millions and billions of dollars. There's no way we can kill him. It's like, obviously, you need to nuke him now before he kills everybody else, <laughs> but no, he he's no longer the moral moralistic owner anymore. Like, just the whole right. thing, ugh. <sighs> Can you tell, guys, I didn't really like this film. <laughs> <laughs> well, and while we're speaking of uh, dumb schemes, we have to talk about the dumbest of them all, and that's Vincent D'Onofrio's ridiculous plan <sighs> to was... weaponize the raptors and take them to the battlefield. Yes. He did not need to be in this movie. I love Vincent D'Onofrio, but he did not need to be in this movie. Nothing about him made sense. He just it. Nothing about his plot made sense. None of it made any sense. It didn't make any sense at all. And basically, the real-world equivalent of what Vincent D'Onofrio is doing is uh, having some 
you know, military contractor come to a zoo that has four or five tigers and saying, hey, I'm going to take your tigers uh, to Afghanistan and place them on the battlefield with my guys. <laughs> yes, <laughs> That would be a ridiculous idea and obviously one that would backfire very, very quickly. Well, but, uh, so, so, so but, but, and it's the same logic here. And it, it's clear, too, it would be one thing like if, if Chris Pratt's character were shown to be able to make the Velociraptors do anything he wanted them to do. But they're just barely listening to him. I yes. mean, just barely just training. Barely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and that's enough for him to go, yep, okay, they're, they're ready to form a dinosaur military unit. I'm going to take them with or without the trainer who is the only person <laughs> yes. who knows how to control them in any way whatsoever. Well, okay, and so the worst part about this whole plot and this business with D'Onofrio is, is he's like, you know, the movie is set up to show us that it is everything he wants to do is wrong, 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 wrong. And yet he gets his way in the end, and there was no way the movie would have been resolved without it. He gets his way, Chris Pratt gets on board, and they all do the thing, and then he still gets eaten because, you know, he was a bad dude, but his plan was the one that they needed to do. Like, that whole thing was so confusing. I was like, what are they trying to tell me here? I don't get it. Yeah, it, it, it's just nonsense it was dumb everyone in this movie everyone in this movie was a moron is the thing i wrote down i'm looking i'm looking that's true it's completely true okay i guess let me talk about my issue with chris pratt um yeah let's do that he's made to do he's made to carry too much of the film's intelligence sure yes um he is basically a man who has all of the virtues of all three of the main characters from the first Jurassic Park movie. Um, he is presented in the film as basically an all-in-one man-god. Uh, <laughs> he, he is a dinosaur whisperer. He's the guy who's always ready to spring into action. He can shoot better than anybody else. He has bigger muscles than anybody else. He is smarter than everybody else. He is funnier than everybody else. This is the guy who is everything um, well, that a movie needs well, in a hero. Well, he's the alpha velociraptor. But, what did you expect? Right, but but <laughs> it's just so much that he fails to be believable as a human being. He yes. feels like a movie character. Uh, he feels like an old sort of 40s B-movie character. Yes. Uh, you know, one of those kind of old-fashioned heroes that's almost ridiculously perfect in every way, mm-hmm. which feels really strange in a movie where every other human being is just incompetent and dumb. Uh, it really stands out. I agree. And additionally, the thing that bugged me a little bit is Chris Pratt wasn't allowed to be himself uh, enough in this role. I feel like they were kind of trying to push him into a more conventional sort of action hero, kind of swaggering, confident sort of mold that seemed to run a little bit contrary to his natural comic instincts. Mm. I feel like if he'd been given a little more free reign with the part, he could have made it entertaining at least. But uh, he he felt kind of restricted there. So I I thought I was going to disagree with you when you said earlier, oh, Chris Pratt, and because I enjoyed Chris (laughs) Pratt, right? But you're absolutely right. right. What you're criticizing is the writing of his role in this film and the way it was integrated into the film. And I completely agree that while I enjoyed Chris Pratt because he's Chris Pratt, 
I did not enjoy the film in which he was in, and, and that's what essentially what you're criticizing. So I agree with you. Basically, yeah, it's it's the character, not not yes. him. So yes. I mean, he does what he can, but yeah. yes, uh, it's a frustrating part. And of course, Bryce Dallas Howard is frustrating in her own way. She has this plot arc that's usually given to like workaholic dads mm. in movies. <laughs> it's like both of y'all have seen Hook, right? Oh yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically the Peter Banning plot arc from hook where he works too much and he doesn't pay enough attention to his kids. And, you know, he has to learn his lesson and learn to, you know, love the people he's supposed to care about more by the end of the movie. Yes. But aunts and uncles are not faithful to their nieces and and nephews. And that's exactly, that's the bizarre part about this is (laughs) she does not have a family at all. Really? I mean, she has her nephews, but the movie guilts her about not spending enough time with her family. Yes. Uh, I have aunts that I have not seen in several years, and I, I certainly don't hold a grudge against them for that. You know, they live far away, and it's difficult to get together with them, and it doesn't happen that often. That's just one of the realities of life. Yes. But this movie acts like it's just the most horrific thing that she has not seen these nephews uh, in a few years. Isn't it horrible? She should spend more time with them. And she's, you know, it, it, it guilts her about being a career woman who's focused on furthering his, her career. And it also presents her as this just emotionless robot who, when questioned about how the dinosaurs feel, she gives this almost data-like feel. What do you mean? They are <laughs> items to make money. Yeah. <laughs> sort of answer. Uh, yes, yeah. But, but And then, of course, all of that is changed miraculously because of a few scary encounters. Um, it's and again, she's doing what she can with the part. I do like her, but that, it's just a horribly written character. I agree. I agree. All right, Joe, go ahead. I was just going to add that uh, in her character's defense, I completely agree with what you're describing, Clark. But I think perhaps what they were trying to go with the story was they were trying to make this character out to be, like you said, uh, removed from the reality of the situation and the feeling and the importance of people in the park that she had treated everything as just cogs in in the system that by this point she was just looking at metrics and numbers, which is something that everybody can uh, see in their own workplaces where, you Mm -hmm. know, there are some specialists that all look at just like the, the almighty dollar in the bottom line. And not only that, but she's also the workaholic that is trying uh, so hard to maintain this like perfect record of attendance at the park for having a clean bill of health and all of the right answers every day of the week. So if you notice in Control Center, where they have all of the smart people and responsible for the technology of the park and the security of the park and all the other daily operations, basically no one there has earned their salt. None of them do anything. She is a, uh, not just a workaholic, but also the micromanager. She's, she's not letting them think for themselves. She is not, she is so much, what I'm trying to get at here, people, is she's so much worse than what Clark was just saying. She's responsible (laughs) for every sin in the modern corporate world. And so what I think that they were trying to do is they were actually trying to use her as this example where, you know, people who should sort of like uh, wake up and, and realize, just what are they doing, you know, in the, in their corporate lives? And I, I think it fell flat on its face. Yes. Uh, they, they wanted her to be the embodiment of bad business and to wake up to her mistakes. And uh, if they really did want to go through with this very hacky kind of, oh, she doesn't spend enough time with her family and uh, sort of plot arc, 
what they should have done in that case is to make her like maybe the kid's mom, but maybe she and their dad are separated and they live with the dad. And okay, now it's time to spend some quality time with mom who we haven't seen often enough. And, but she's too busy with the part. Okay. That makes a little sense, even if it is tired and cliched, yep. but it made no sense at all making her their aunt and then putting her through that whole sort of stereotypical arc. I couldn't agree more. Um, all right. One, one other uh, kind of big thing that I wanted to uh, cover um, and really, I just wanted to say, what the heck? <laughs> it's just the, 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 the pointless, utterly useless death of the babysitter. Like, what did she do to deserve oh, that? Yeah. What did Guys, she do? Guys, do you agree? I completely she... agree. Clark, you too? Yes. Oh, it, it was bugged awful. me so it, bad. Well, it, it, it wasn't just the death. It was like, we're going to gleefully show you how she gets tossed up and down and chopped up. In the, in the, just, I, what did she do to deserve that from a storytelling she, she's perspective? She's like one of the few okay characters. In that, like, she's not much of a character, but she's not a bad person in right. any way. She's just trying to do her job. Right, and she just looked down for one second, and the boys, the teenage boy, or the teenage boy and the preteen boy are like, hey, hey, let's run off and get away from her. And like, yeah. and she had just looked down for a second, like, what did she do to deserve this nasty, horrible death? And I thought the way they were lingering on it, it's like, oh, she's going to be rescued somehow. This is going to be weird, but she's going to be rescued somehow. And then it didn't. And it, it's like, we spent like literally 90 seconds watching her die. It was yeah, it's, it's a very mean-spirited scene. And it would have made sense if if we were talking about, uh, say, I don't know, the Vincent D'Onofrio character in that scene or, you know, one of yes. the genuinely more kind of loathsome uh, characters in that movie. Right. But, yeah, it it's, it's just seems oddly mean-spirited to give her such an elaborate and cruel and painful death. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm not opposed to scenes like that in movies no. they can be entertaining in the right context but it, it felt like a they misjudged the tone of that scene wholly and completely misjudged it yeah, yeah. speaking about the violence and, and the splatters of blood i noticed that in the original film there was maybe one or two shots and clark your memory may be a little bit better where uh, off camera there'd be some violence taking place and then blood would be splattered on the wall or splattered on the window and this mm-hmm. film must have done that more than half a dozen times. It was like any opportunity to show splatters of like sprayed blood, we just will. And I was like, okay, they, they did it over and over again. Did y'all notice? I did notice. And I think they were trying to show, do it the way, because Spielberg did that a couple of times, but he only did it a couple of times. And yeah. you're absolutely right. It's like, hey, Spielberg did it a little, we'll go full Spielberg and we'll do it 20 times. Like it just got old. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. All really right. Bad stuff. Um, mm. I'm going to skim through my notes here. We already kind of talked about what, what are the villain motivations? Uh, if they don't have any, uh, there was no tragic character Is CG integration getting worse. We've talked about all three of those. Um, well, going back to what y'all said about the birds of prey, it didn't make any sense to me that all of the people would be hoarded together in the boardwalk, nowhere to turn to nowhere to go. Like, wait a minute, don't they spend the night on the park? So why don't they just go back to their hotel rooms? Why was the assumption that when they shut down the park, they gather everybody together in the middle of the boardwalk. Like, how is that any safer than indoors? Like, if there were a fire, you'd go to the boardwalk. If there were not a fire and you have a gigantic dinosaur running around, why wouldn't they have told people, return to your rooms and lock the doors? Like, that didn't make any sense that when when the birds of prey attacked, 
they they were attacking the people in the boulevard for like five minutes while 20,000 people were just running frantically in all directions and going nowhere. It, it, that that was that really bugged me too right alongside of the nanny getting torn to pieces like i was like why why are the people here Ugh. also this has been mentioned everywhere else at this point but bryce dallas howard's character really should have changed her shoes at some point in that, I, th- that was one of the notes i i put <laughs> I, I put high heels what and she just kept them on the whole movie <laughs> just she ran like with that flare she's running down the street getting the mm-hmm. the tyrannosaurus rex to follow her and she's in high heels and like and that stretch of the movie when they were all with uh when they were huddled up with all the other people um you know in that sort of enclosed area Surely she could have taken like 30 seconds to take those shoes off and put something else on or borrow some shoes from somebody else or something. I don't know. Or like in that scene yeah. when she kind of does the whole thing with her, her uh, blouse and, and things to get it in, to, to look more like uh, the, the, the um, uh, what was the name of the character in the first Jurassic Park? Um, Laura Dern. Laura Dern, yes. Look more like her. <laughs> and you'd think at that point she would have taken her shoes off. Uh, but no, she didn't. And even though I did I did enjoy that scene where she's like, she gets and she, and, and, Chris, and Chris Pratt's looks at her just incredulously he's like i i don't know what that means <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the funnier moments in the movie i'll admit <laughs> but you you've reminded me of something too um talking about the scene where the guy's wearing the jurassic park t-shirt and he's being scolded for that yes that that does, scene doesn't make any sense to me no. either because yes. okay if if they're so paranoid about being associated with jurassic park that awful place where people died first of all why would they recycle the exact same logo and put it <laughs> everywhere all over the park? No kidding. Secondly, why would they call it Jurassic anything again instead of calling it like Dinosaur Land or something yes, like yes, that? Yes, yes, yes. There are so many like direct associations with the original Jurassic Park that it seems completely nonsensical to start freaking out about actual Jurassic Park memorabilia so, showing up in the park. Yeah, so the real problem here is that they were trying to find a way to call it out rather than letting it be what it was, a, a happy little nod that you may or may not catch. But instead they had right. to go, see what we did there? See, oh, by the way, see what we did here? We just want to make sure you right. notice. Or at least not freak out about it. Like, you know, yeah. say something like, come on, you know you're supposed to be wearing the official Jurassic World new park gear or yes, whatever. Like, yes. You know, and just sort of more a uh, a gentle chastisement and not uh, <gasps> somebody might see that. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. Sort of thing. Yep. I agree. Uh, yeah. I, I just have one more complaint. I want to mention. Okay. We, uh, I have more. I have like 12 more, but uh, <laughs> y'all have done a good job. Um, my, the one other complaint I want to make is this was beyond the point that I had lost interest in the remainder of the film. <laughs> right. But when, when they finally had the gaggle of the protagonists, looking for something. I don't even remember what they were looking for. Probably evidence or something. They went to the laboratory. They were looking for the scientists or something. And when they went to the laboratory, nobody was there. And presumably anything important had already been taken away. Mm-hmm. But for, for a few, for like a moment, all of them, all of a sudden got super interested and mesmerized by the little lizards and uh, other little displays in the laboratory. Isn't that weird? And, and they were absorbed into these things like they had not been distracted by anything else in the entire park up to this point. Now they're totally fascinated. Yeah. Like, and not what is the, going the, on? The clock's ticking. They got velociraptors and, 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 and Indominus Rex closing in and they're going to stop and admire the little, uh, the little uh, dinosaurs. <laughs> 
I was, it didn't <sighs> make any sense. Like, what was with that? They, they looked so stupid. It just didn't yeah. make any sense. It was dumb. Also, I was as uh, I was as unamused by that Jimmy Fallon cameo as that kid was. <laughs> yeah, I was too, and I was like, "Guys, Jimmy Fallon is actually funny, and this isn't funny. I don't know what's going on here, but this isn't uh, funny." Maybe because the kid looked so bored, it was supposed to be like intentionally lame. I don't know, but it just <sighs> that that bit didn't Golly, work. Yeah, yeah, it was it was dumb. Speaking of the kids, I couldn't tell. They didn't telegraph it enough. Was the teenage kid? Uh, having trouble with with girls and hormones, I couldn't tell. Oh, man. <laughs> Good <laughs> golly, I could not tell. <laughs> I just didn't. Honestly, what? Is, come on. And like, yeah, I'm pretty sure there were what like four or five scenes of him like, oh, there's a girl. At least six. At least yeah. six. And you're like, enough already. We get it. He's a teenager, and there are girls at the park. We get it. And, and the odd thing about that, too, is, like, they keep emphasizing it. I know. But they never, like, actually do anything with it or Nothing. use it in the plot in any way. It's just, like, there all the time. Yeah. yeah. Just, well, if it weren't for that, he would have no personality whatsoever, so. He, he was true. A, he was pretty annoying, I gotta say. I liked the younger kid better. Yes, uh, the, I agree. The, the older kid, like, basically stared at girls and sulked for most of the movie. <laughs> He got pretty, pretty tired. And I, I realized like teenagers can be the worst. I, I, I get that. But yeah. He, he was just not a good character. Yeah, I agree. All right. So my main point, my main problem with this film is, is we're, we're coming down to it right here. Um, this movie's plot did not need to happen except that it was contrived to be so because you've got this thing and, and all of a sudden all of the, all of the thermal sensors can't find the, 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 the uh, not dragon dinosaur. They can't find the, the Indominus Rex anywhere in the pen. And instead of making a call right there, she panics Bryce Dallas Howard's uh, Claire, Claire panics and gets in the car and starts driving. And then everybody else assumes that the dinosaur is not in the pen. And so she doesn't make the call until after they're in the paddock with the dinosaur. She could have stopped this whole thing from happening. If she would have made a call and said, Hey, can you track this dinosaur for me real quick before we all freak out? And Oh, he's in, he's in the pen. Well, okay then, but no, it just, it doesn't make any sense. That's like, the first thing you think of is get in your car and drive. Like, why couldn't you make that phone call from where you were at? I, 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 I mm. contrived. Yeah, uh, and Indominus Rex, um, that guy, it, it, he's a weird creation. Um, I, I feel like I've used the word weird way too often in this <laughs> review um, or this podcast, but he he seems to develop or reveal like a new superpower every 10 or 15 minutes, yes. like conveniently yep. at just the moment he needs it to keep the plot moving. It's like, Oh, well now he can turn invisible by, you know, reducing his body heat. Oh, well, and now he can communicate with Raptors and it's like, you know, a new little surprise and uh, another scene of BD Wong going, yep, we put some of this DNA in there just because it seemed like a good idea. Apparently having There's Velociraptor like, DNA changes the loyalties of the other Velociraptors. <laughs> And, you know, um, I, I really don't understand why putting Velociraptor DNA makes any sense uh, as far as making him a better attraction for the general public. No. I mean, because, like, unless they're going to battle with him and appreciating his ability to hunt them, um, I, I really don't see what they would see 
by putting that raptor DNA in there. Obviously, they want to make something that looks more ferocious and terrifying. Yeah. Well, now you're raising one of the huge differences between this film and the original one. In the original, the the owner who had a vision for the park, he, he seemed to naively believe that they could control the animals because, after all, they were just animals. Even the dangerous ones would be no more fierce than, you know, lions and tigers and bears. So, you know, what difference can it make that the this particular tiger happens to be like 25 feet long, you know, as a T-Rex? But, you know, from that story, they made the point that, you know, these dinosaurs are actually quite fierce and they're more like monsters. So you better not revisit this idea about creating a park. Going back to your point earlier, TJ, they had to think, you know, like, why on earth would we even build this park? You know, after the experience that happened 20 years ago. But but then think about this, like, uh, if if there were such a park, if there were such dinosaurs, they would be treated as humanely as animals in, like, a traditional zoo. Like, there are so many professionals and human rights activists, and there, you know, the book has been written on this kind of thing, where we treat koalas incredibly well until we decide we're going to make them extinct, like, even though that they really hurt people sometimes. Now, you know, like, why is it that the the people, as y'all have been saying, are so incompetent that they create the worst imaginable monster possible and then they treat it very stupidly and there's nobody around with sense to treat the animal more like an animal rather than just an object with Well, legs. Joe, you've, you've, you've just um, triggered a thought here. And this, I think, if I may humbly submit it, would be a better idea for a Jurassic Park movie than any of the sequels they've come up with so far. So you mentioned uh, the way that animals are treated humanely in zoos. However, there are a lot of people, a sizable segment of the population, that feels that animals are not treated well enough in zoos, that they are not given the space they need to thrive and that they are uh, they need to be in a natural environment and that they're unhappy and this, that, and the other thing. And there are even extreme animal rights activists who will go and actively try to free animals from zoos for this purpose. Yeah, yeah. It would be a lot more go. interesting to Perfect. me to make a Jurassic Park movie where – you do have a park that makes sense, that's well-designed, that uh, has a lot of security measures in place, but you have some very devoted dinosaur rights activists who feel that dinosaurs don't deserve to be trapped in a park. They deserve to be roaming free in the jungle or the forest or wherever where they can be happy and be themselves, and they devote themselves to finding a way to free the dinosaurs from the park and wreak havoc in the process. That would make a lot more sense and be a lot more um, compelling yeah. and have much more villains with much more sensible motivations than these Jurassic Park sequels have had. I, I like that. That's that, that would definitely be a much better way to go. And, and that would make so much more sense from any perspective you can think of it. Oh, the dinosaurs got loose, not because of the extreme incompetence of the people running the park, but because you had humans interfering and doing things that they uh, thought that would be better for the dinosaurs, but it turns out they killed everybody. Right, and and you have smart people foiling the plans of other smart people, basically. Yes. I, I want a Jurassic Park movie filled with smart people who are outsmarting each other. That's what I want, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be much better. All right, guys. Um, I, That's a good I, one. Yeah. 
uh, I don't have many more things on my list here for dislikes. <laughs> the, the only other thing that I'll mention is uh, that weird, crazy, like everything in this, the way everything in this film is contrived. This one takes the cake, right? It's it's their their repair. They're, they come, they find the jeeps, the boys, and it's like, hey, remember how we used to repair the cars and the. the Wait, what? You you're a teenager and a preteen and you used to repair cars? <laughs> what? <sighs> <sighs> All right. Contrived. And, and for the record, there was no way you could possibly get that Jeep to run again. No. 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 It's been sitting for 20 years. And where did you get the power? How did you I mean, and, and he's like he he uh, <sighs> Uh, and Chris Pratt was about to do the same thing too. He grabbed. Yes. He's like, oh yeah, I know how to magically repair these cars because, of course, he does. Yeah, of uh, course he does. <laughs> he's the, he's the man god. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, guys, I think we need to wrap it up. I think we're. I think we're. We can stick a fork in it. Uh, Clark, why don't you give us your final analysis and your star rating? My final analysis is that. Jurassic World is an exasperatingly dumb movie uh, filled with incredibly dumb characters doing dumb things. It has a dumb plot, and it's dumb all around. <laughs> dumb. Um, I, think you're, I think you might be characterizing it as dumb. Is this true? Th- this is true. That being said, um, I do not hate the movie as much as I feel like I ought to, mostly because uh, there were a good 20 minutes or so of pretty enjoyable dinosaur action scenes. Again, Particularly the last one and the uh, sort of big twist that entails, I found really entertaining in a sort of old-fashioned monster movie kind of way. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, a big disappointment in a series that probably should have ended with the first installment. Mm-hmm. What's your star rating? Oh, mm, I'm sort of torn between two and two and a half out of five, but I'll go two. Okay. Two out of mm. five. Joe? I'm saying two. No, uh, I'm saying three out of five stars. What because is wrong with you? I uh, don't know, TJ. Uh, follow <laughs> up next week. <laughs> uh, I think that, in spite of the fact that I just spotted mistakes left and right, that it was it was enjoyable, even if it was nonsensical, and 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 the bad guys probably bugged me the most in the film. And thankfully, they managed to not ruin the film for what it was worth. So, it's certainly not, it's not, it's a far cry from a great film. It's a far cry from a Spielberg film. It's a far cry from the original Jurassic Park. But if I'm going back through and I'm watching them again and somebody says, hey, I want to watch this. I'll probably sit down and watch it with them. Other than that, I don't intend to buy it. I don't intend to watch it again until somebody asks me to. Uh, okay. So three out of five stars. So I'm going to echo Clark and say that this movie was dumb. Um, it was dumb in every conceivable way. It leaned heavily on nostalgia for, uh, it's a, a kind of appealing qualities. Um, it, it was a movie that fell into self parody with commercialism uh, it had hardly anything redeeming about it. Um, it the, the villains, I didn't understand what, what they were in it for. What they were doing made no sense. Um, the CGI was not great. Uh, there was n- n- there, the, nothing in the plot was great. It was all contrived. I'm giving this film one and a half out of five stars, I, and I, I cannot recommend it. Even, even with Chris Pratt and, and enjoying some of the stuff that he did, 
the the way his role was written even was not great. So I just I can't ugh, I can't and one and a half out of five stars. That wraps up our review of Jurassic World. If you would like to find the show <laughs> notes for this episode, they will be at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 143. Joe, where can people discover your work online? I am underscore Joe Darnell on Twitter. Find me there. All right. And Clark, where may people uh, – I know you're writing at a website now, a movie review every day, and uh, you have a Twitter. So tell people where they might find you. Yeah, they can go to 365movieguide.com. Uh, there I am, as you say, writing a new movie review every day, and you'll find reviews of all kinds of stuff, new and old, on the site. And uh, they can follow me on Twitter as well, at 365movieguy. All right, and you also, on 365movieguy.com, you read a review of Jurassic World, which I will put in the show notes. I haven't had time to read it Thank yet, you, but uh, I will put that in the show notes, and I suggest people check it out because I'm sure it's good based on our conversation. I, I have no doubt that it's a good one. And if you want to follow me, you can do that on Twitter at TJDraperPro. Uh, you can keep up with me there. That is it for us this week. We'll be back next week. Uh, Joe and I, and I don't know of anybody else at this time, will be talking probably about Terminator Genesis. So tune in for mm. that, and uh, mm. we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I don't want to make any judgments about this film hastily, but I don't expect to like it. So. Since, since, um, since I'm not going to be on the show next week, let me just say, uh, expect to repeat a lot of the sentiments that you've <laughs> right. repeated issued on today's show <laughs> nice it's oh, this, this year has been so frustrating about in, in many ways but it's given us some good ones too so uh, we'll be back next week probably with that review but maybe we'll think about something else based on Clark's feedback in any event <laughs> tune in next week uh, and we will see you then have a good time at the cinema see you guys later ta-ta bye